time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. Five for your friends. Anybody out there praying and believing God for their friends to get saved? Come on. I want to see an army of young people loving God with everything in them, doing everything they can to see their friends come to know Jesus. Man, I'm so glad to be here tonight. Uh, my name's Jared Newman. I've been here for several years, um, loving on junior high students and high school students, and I'm so glad to be here with you guys. This is one of my favorite places to be in the entire world, just here with you. I want to, uh, I want to start tonight, and you know, as we're finishing up this series, Five for Your Friends, I want to tell you, because I've recently been asked a couple of times, like, Jared, what, what makes you you? Like, what are some of those things that makes you so crazy when it comes to like man time stuff because man time's coming up and you know people are like why you know what what is that drive and where did that come from and uh I was trying to think about that and I remember my dad used to say this quote to me and for some of you guys it might seem like this quote would be like abusive or something to say to your kid it's like why would a dad ever say that what a mean dad but I think my dad when he would say this to me he knew what he was doing he knew that he was motivating me at the core of who I was. But he used to say this to me, and maybe you guys have heard this, but, uh, you know, especially as I was kind of coming into junior high and high school, I started to hear more and more. But he'd look at me and he'd say, son, somewhere, somebody is training harder than you are. And when they meet you, they'll beat you. Yeah, pretty encouraging, right? It's like, I love you, Dad. And, and I remember, and, I remember, and what, what it would do in my, for me, be a fire in my eyes and go, is that so? I'm going to work harder than anybody's ever seen. And every time I step on that field, I'm going to prove to everybody that I'm the best player on this field. That was the mindset, and I, you know, so in high school, I was waking up every morning, you know, at six in the morning and running miles. I was going to school. I would, uh, I would go after school and go to your practice, which everybody does. They go, to their, they go to their team practice kind of thing. But then it was the after practice hours that nobody would touch me on, because I'd stay, and I'd throw a ball into a net for like an hour, and I'd hit off a tee for an hour, and then I'd go, that's because I love baseball. Hitting off a tee, you thought I was a golfer. You're joking, right? Uh, so I would uh, hit off a tee, and then I'd go and I'd hit the gym for an hour and a half or two hours every single night, and I was just crazy. I was never in the house before eight, nine o'clock, you know, and, and uh, would come home, do my homework, start the next day, kind of hit it again. And uh, I remember what that would do to me because of that quote, I'd walk out, and I would think in my head, every time I hit the field, I would walk out there and I'd go, you know what? I know that I've out-trained every single person on this field. And I had it in my head and, I'm, and I was like, so today, I'm gonna beat them all. I'm gonna strike them out. If I can't strike them out, I'm gonna peg them. <laughs> and when I hit them at like 89, 91, 92 in the head, it... no, don't do that. Don't do that. You don't need to. If you can throw that hard, you can beat them. Um, 
But uh, I remember that quote pushing me so hard, and I remember thinking, you know, nobody's going to outwork me. And I remember just starting to apply some of that in, in my life spiritually. And I remember in high school, we never had games on Wednesdays, so I just made the decision, you know what, I'm going to fast every Wednesday. And uh, going up through high school, I just fasted lunch on Wednesdays, and I spent time praying. I spent time seeking God. And that was kind of a, a weekly routine kind of a thing that kept me focused on, man, baseball is not uh, everything in my life, but God is. And I, and I saw baseball as a means to kind of open doors so I could uh, proclaim the gospel and I could teach the gospel. But I remember applying that kind of logic to everything I did. And I was like, you know what? Nobody's going to outserve me. Nobody's going to outwork me. Nobody's going to outgive me. And I just made those kind of core decisions as a young man, and that, those are some of the things that have made me who I am. And that's some of the things that I want to impart in people as we go through like man time and other things is just the idea of sacrifice, of serving, of giving, of working hard. And uh, those are traits that I think every man needs to have internally built into them because it drives me nuts seeing people that have so many giftings and so many great things that God has put in their lap and they just squander them because they're lazy. They squander them because they're not focused. You know, you've got such an incredible window of opportunity to reach your high school friends. I mean, the statistics that talk about people that come to know Jesus, I mean, well over 80% come to know Jesus before the age of 18. So you're in a primary window for reaching your friends for Jesus and nobody else can do the job but you. And I, it drives me crazy to see you know, Christians, when we just squander the things that are right there in our lap, and we don't, we're not aggressively trying to win over the kingdom. You know, I remember too, I'll just tell you another quick high school story, because it was in me. I didn't run cross country, but the coach knew I was a competitor, so he asked me to start running cross country my senior year, because we had a chance to win state. Um, I hadn't practiced, I hadn't trained with the team, so he asked me right before we start into our regionals and our kind of our district tournaments and all those kind of things. So I get one race in before, uh, one race in before district start. So it's the last kind of cross country meet of the year. And I wasn't really a cross country runner, I was just a competitor, so I just had it up here. And uh, I remember, I mean, I would run these races and just you know, be want to throw up, want to pass out. It was just awful, because I just didn't want to give up and I didn't want, you know, anytime there was someone in front of me, I just wanted to beat him, so I just ran faster. Um, and it was awful. I hate cross country for that reason. Um, but uh, so they run seven is the way that it works on a team. And I had guys that were blazing fast on my team. Uh, and they run seven in your top five count. So the first week that I run, I come in and I'm seventh place. So I finished this race where I just busted everything I have. And I get seventh place, so it's like, you know, thanks for running with the team today. Like, you don't count for anything, but I'm just glad you came to run. It's like, awesome. So then the next week was districts, and I go and I run districts, and uh, again, I'm the seventh man. It's like, what am I doing? The coach asked me to come out here. This is so stupid. Like, all these guys have been training, and I, you know, I'm trying to compete, but all it takes is just these guys to beat me a little bit. And then I go to area, and then, which is the next one before state, and I just got in my head, like, I just want to count. And uh, in the area tournament, I got sixth. Yeah, that's good stuff. Because now I've been training for a couple weeks, so I'm getting into cross-country shape. And then I go into the state tournament, and uh, it's my senior year. I know we've got a chance to win state if I just perform well, and I'm like, all I got to do is count. I can just count. 
we might win. So I remember getting out there, and I just decided, like, I'm going to push with everything in me, like, because there's no reason to hold anything back on the field, because you, you only have so much time, and when you're in a cross-country meet, you know, it, you know that you just have to run 5K, just a little over three miles, and it, it will end. You just got to push through the pain. And uh, so here I am pushing through the pain, and uh, we get to about a half mile left, and there was this one little part where you run, and it looked like you're about to turn into the straightaway for the sprint. Bum thing about that was that you didn't actually go to the straight, you know, you, you took a little turn, went out and around this little loop, and then came in. So here I am, and there's probably 150 people running, and I'm running the fifth man, feeling pretty good. I'm counting guys on my team going, okay, they're past me, they're past me, they're past me, but number five. <laughs> And uh, so I'm like, I'm going to count this time. So I turn this corner, and I start sprinting. And I'm, I'm probably top 25 at this point in this, in this state meet. And I'm, I'm cruising, like kicking, kicking, kicking. And then all of a sudden, there's the turn. I'm like, oh. And if you've ever sprinted thinking that the turn was the end, and you've given your kick, it'll mess with you pretty bad. So I, I just try to keep pace then because I passed all these guys on my kick and then realized I shouldn't have been kicking. Ended up running this little last route and then I'm getting ready to start my last kick. And here I go and I'm getting ready to start this last thing and, I'm, and I turn it on and there's all these people on the sides and they're yelling and all of a sudden like while they're yelling, I can't hear anybody and I'm just cruising and all of a sudden I can't see anybody. And then everybody that's there Starts saying, like, I started doing this, and like side to side, and I'm like throwing my arms up high, trying to run, my legs are going high, and I, and I know that I've lost control. And, uh, and I'm, I'm starting to lose everything, and uh, the only thing that's in my head is I remembered before I closed my eyes that there was a chute that I was trying to land in. I mean, where they like take your number and whatever and you get your place. And I just remember knowing that I was running side to side, going, man, I don't wanna miss the chute. I don't wanna miss the chute. I can't hear, I can't see. And I, I remember running and the guy that's collecting your, the tag stuff, I bumped into him. And when I bumped into him, my eyes opened for a second and I just threw my arm around him. And he goes, keep on going. And he just steps out of the side and pushes me. And I just remember being so mad at him going, and just totally crashed. And then, I mean, I was unconscious, unconscious. And uh, they said what happened in that situation was your body will actually start when it has no oxygen and doesn't, it doesn't have all the blood flow that it needs. It will start shutting down organs and things like that in kind of order of importance because your body is smart. And uh, eventually, it'll hit your brain if you don't stop, if you didn't learn. And so that's kind of what happened, like just shut off activity up there and I went out. They said my heart was the next thing that was about to go and it was beating over 220. And I mean, just one of these moments where it was like, oh my gosh. And they said my chest was bouncing. You know, they could see it off my shirt, just huge. And uh, the pastor that was there uh, at my church came running in and uh, I'd been out, they'd called an the ambulance and stuff. And he comes running, and he puts his hand on me, and he says, life return. And boom, I woke up. I had, <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. 
Not at the moment, though, for me, because I have no idea what's going on. And all of a sudden, I start yelling at everybody because they're all around me. And I'm like, my feet are on fire. Take my shoes off. You know, and I don't know what's going on. But needless to say, I'm so grateful for that man of God to run in and know what was inside of him. The same spirit that rose Christ Jesus from the dead dwelled in him. And he knew that. He came and he laid hands on me. And instantly, life came back. So, I mean, I've had this kind of mindset of fighting hard mentally, fighting hard physically, working my tail off. You know, when I was in high school, I saw this one scene from a movie, and, man, this may have, I don't know if it was high school or not. The movie came out in 1993. Some of you guys are like, I wasn't even born then. This is a classic. (laughs) 1993, it's a movie called Schindler's List. And some of you guys have seen it. I actually, I'm actually telling you about this movie, but I never even saw the movie. I just walked into a, a party where a whole bunch of kids were watching it because it was like the big movie of the day. And I remember watching this one scene at the end. And I mean, every once in a while you watch a movie, you watch a scene, and it kind of messes with you. And this is one of those scenes that kind of messed with me. And uh, rather than just tell you about the scene, I brought it with me tonight, and I thought uh, we just watch this together. So let's watch a little bit of a movie that I've never seen, Schindler's List. We've written a letter trying to explain things in case you were captured. Every worker has signed it. Good, what about this car? 
Why did I keep the car? Ten people right there. Ten people. Ten more people. This pin. Two people. This is gold. Two more people. You would have given me two for it. At least one. You would have given me one. One more. One more person. Person is For this. I could have gone. One more person. And I didn't. I, I, I didn't. <laughs> you know, and I don't know if that makes, the, you know, the context of that scene is a little bit, you know, if you haven't seen the movie or you're unfamiliar with it, but there, this guy had been acquiring, like, Jews to his concentration camp, but he was really trying to rescue them and save them. And he was thinking, man, if only I would have given a little bit more, I could have saved more. If only... You know, I would have done this, or if only I would have done this, I could have saved more. And I do think that there will be a day where, you know, eternity is in perspective. And we're face to face with God, and there's going to be that, those, the thoughts of the people that you've encountered, and the people that have stood beside you in your classes, at your lunch tables, at your school, at your work, in the places that you live. And I think there's going to be a day that we're confronted a little bit, of, God, why didn't I do more? God, why wasn't there a sense of urgency in me to sacrifice more, to speak more, to give more, to serve more, to love more, to be kind? And I just want to, as we talk about this fight for your friends and the idea of this, I just want to put that sense of urgency in you because there will be a day that we, that we won't have the opportunity. There's a day that you graduate from your junior high. There's a day where some of the friends that you're with now will move out of this city, out of the state, will transfer to a different school. There is a day where every one of you should walk and graduate, you know, from the high schools that you're at or maybe a different high school here in town or out of state. And there is a day where the work will cease and the time will be out. And it will be at that day where we've either done everything that we could and we've pushed so hard and we've really battled and we've really fought and we've prayed and we've proclaimed we've loved we've healed or it'll be a day filled with regrets where it's like man why didn't I go after it harder and I don't want you to live with that you know uh, in John 9 verse 4 it says this this is Jesus talking it says I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day because soon the night will come and all work will cease and I'll have to stop. And I want you just to get that in your head. And here's Jesus speaking to us as his followers. And he's saying to himself, like, God, I must work. I must do the work of him who sent me. I must do the work of the Father while I'm here because soon I know I won't be here. And when that day comes... There's nothing more that I can do. And I just want you to get that picture because each and every one of you has that same thing in, in front of you right here and right now. That you have days that are numbered. Your days are numbered before the end of the school year. 
Your days are numbered before you graduate from high school. Not any of us are guaranteed that we'll live till tomorrow. The time is short. We must work while it is still day because soon the night will come. And when it comes, all of our work will cease. Soon when our lives here on this earth have passed away, we will no longer be able to reach and proclaim to our friends. So we must work while it is day. We must, we must spend our days proclaiming the goodness of God. We must spend our days asking God to use us here and now because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. You know, uh, I remember uh, there's this, if you, you know, if you listen to me talk or you hang out with me, you know a few things about me. I love baseball. I love sports. I love anything really outdoors, camping, fishing, hunting, mountains, all that stuff, animals. And I love God with everything in me. And if you spend any time with me, you're gonna, we're going to talk about some of those things. It's just because that's, that's what I'm passionate about. That's what I talk about. And uh, one little thing that I've always found interesting is, you know, when they've tried to, when you try to capture wild pigs, I've gone wild boar hunting with a rifle, but I've never actually tried to capture wild pigs. But uh, they say that the way that you can capture wild pigs and domesticate them is that you would, uh, you know, first you got to find out where the pigs are, but then you start throwing out a little bit of food, and the pigs will come to an area and they'll begin to eat from that area. Second, you'll build one side of a fence and you'll continue to feed the pigs in that, in that same area, and they get used to that fence being there. You know, what follows is shortly you build a second fence, throw some food in there. Shortly you build a third fence, and they're more and more encaged, and they're more encircled, and, but they get used to being inside of these four things of this fence, and then you add a fence with a gate, you throw some food in the middle, and the pigs come in, and now they're yours. Um, one of the things that I would say is the saddest, uh, most disappointing thing that I see in Christianity is when I see Christians that get boxed within the four walls of the church. Because what I end up seeing is Christians and believers that are not making an impact on the world outside. And because of that, if you continue coming to church and you continue to live in the cage, you end up being frustrated with yourself because you know you ought to be making an impact because we're not meant to live in this cage. We're meant to come here and be encouraged and be filled with the Spirit and pray for one another and lift one another up so that we can go and do the work out there. But one of the saddest things I see in Christianity is when we live within the four walls of the church. And I, I see people that should be free held captive and the faith that's inside them has nowhere to go so it ends up being more of a frustration than it is something that brings life. And I talk to so many kids that wonder why, they wonder why that, you know, they can have these experiences where they feel the highs and lows of serving God. And they get frustrated because they're tired of the highs and lows. They're, they're frustrated when they're at the low because they've experienced the high. They're frustrated with the high because they know soon they'll be at a low again, because they don't know how to sustain it. And I see people that get frustrated because they, they live within these walls and they, they hear people talk so they feel the guilt of, man, I need to read my Bible more, I need to pray more, I need to do all these things. But outside of here, you, you can't seem to make any of those things happen. The only time that you seem to be able to pray or worship God is when you're here within the walls. 
And then outside of the church, it begins to make no difference. And you, you start compartmentalizing what should be the most important aspect of your life. And I talk to kids, and they're like, well, how do I sustain this passion? How do I sustain this heart for God? Let me tell you, those are the saddest Christians I get to see. Let me tell you about the most excited Christians I get to see. The people that I always find are the most full of the life of God and the character of God and the people that are so excited. Talk to somebody that's just gotten back from a missions trip. How many of you guys have ever been on a missions trip? And you talk to your team and you're so excited and you're so passionate about what God's doing because you realize he's doing stuff on the earth today and it's outside the walls of the church. Talk to somebody that's doing that. Talk to somebody um, that's just maybe prayed for somebody and saw them get healed. Last, you know, last year at TAG, we had a couple scenarios where we heard of students that went and prayed for people in their school unashamedly in the midst of their hallways in between passing periods and people getting healed. And I, you can't shut those people up. Talk to somebody who just got one of their close friends saved. They're, I mean, there's passion. There's something that's coming forth from them that they're exuding and they can't contain it. It's a fire that can't be shut up in their bones. Talk to somebody who just baptized a group of people. Whenever I, whenever I as a pastor get to baptize people, that's one of the most exciting things in the world for me because here it is, uh, this person that was once lost, they're now identifying with Christ in his resurrection. Talk to people that are doing these things. Talk to somebody that just heard God speak to him for the first time at a desperation conference. See what's stirring, see what's going on inside them. There's this excitement, there's this energy, there's this passion. And I'm, I just wanna tell you that it is sustainable. It's not, a, it's not a, a myth. It's not something that we're presenting to you saying, no, live hard for God, but it's not attainable. I've seen it with my own eyes. And I wanna give you just, you know, we, we talk to you so often about prayer. And we talk to you often about reaching your friends. And, you know, if we compartmentalize that, we can give you this charge and all of a sudden you go and you do it this one time and now you feel like you've, you can check that off your box. But I, if you do it that one time, it's not something that's sustainable in your life and, you're, and, you, and it's not something that's gonna continue to feed you with energy. And I, I wanna challenge you guys to be people that recognize that what God has given us here is supposed to be something that's released on the earth, not something that's contained here. And I think for some of you guys that are hungry and you're starving for more of God, this is a big part of it. This is a key that will unlock just an endless passion and a resource and a strength and a desire and a hunger for God's word like you've never had before. A hunger and a thirst for prayer. A hunger and a thirst to see your lost friends come to know Jesus. When you start recognizing that, you know what? Everything we do here is meant to reach outside these walls. And when you start integrating that into your life, it'll change everything about who you are. You know, I wanna, I gotta be quick, but I, I wanna share a couple quick thoughts with you. But some of the things that, uh, uh, you know, that I want you just to recognize real quick is when God made us on the earth and put us in the garden, God, God put us in the garden so that he could walk and talk and be in relationship with us. That was his intent. We know with Adam and Eve, we kind of screwed that up when we sinned against God and we disobeyed him. Now, oftentimes, you know, we talk about the resurrection and we talk about when Jesus came to the earth and that being for something that is for 
our salvation and it's for eternity. But sometimes I think we miss one of the bigger and greatest promises of the entire Jesus story. Is that when God sent his son Jesus, he came to the earth to redeem that which was stolen from us. And a big part of that thing which was stolen from us was that ability to walk and talk with God like he created us to do. And I think, yes, if you believe in Jesus, but you don't learn how to walk and talk with God on a daily basis, you've missed a big portion of this. You've missed a big part of living life with God and in relationship with him. And uh, I want to challenge you to this because I want you to think about this too because if you think about the original sin, which was eating maybe an apple, we call it an apple, eating a piece of fruit from a tree, that's not really listed in our thoughts of what is right and what is wrong. You know, that's not in our big sin. Don't eat fruit. It could be from the tree. And if you eat that fruit, you've sent in, you'll create the whole process and then they'll have to send Jesus back again. That's not the way it works. Where, you know, fruit was given to us to eat, but what was such a heinous sin there was that God told them not to eat from this tree. And he was speaking to them because he was in relationship with them. And he said, don't do this. From all the other things I want you to eat. And here I believe that God sent his son Jesus to restore the relationship that was lost in the garden where he gets to walk and talk with you. So here now we have access to God the Father who can speak to us. And I do believe that every day God is trying to intervene and God is trying to interrupt the busyness of your schedule to speak to you. And I think there's many days where we've categorized Christianity as these are the sins that I don't do and these are the things that I do do, but instead of Instead, we, we've relegated all of that, which isn't relationship, which is law. We've just recreated law. Now we've lost the ability to kind of hear God's voice because we think we've got it down. So I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. But I am going to do this. And I am going to do this. And when I fall short, I fall short. But I just want to challenge you and encourage you to be people that are seeking after that relationship aspect with God. Because here's what we're missing. Because I think every day God's trying to intervene and use you for his kingdom on a daily basis. Where there's days that you are walking in class, you're walking through your school hallways, and God is trying to speak to you and say, hey, I want you to go and talk to that person. And if we don't incline our ear to hear, I would say that that's the same sin as what originally disrupted man in the beginning, is that we just simply didn't obey God. And it's that sin that kind of separates us from God. It's not because we did something that was a written down loss and we didn't lie, we didn't steal. We're just missing it because we're not living in relationship with God. So what I want to challenge you all to do is to make a decision that you want to dive deeper in this relationship with God, that you want to incline your ear to hear his voice, and that you want to begin to walk and talk with God just as Adam and Eve did and allow that relationship which God so desperately desires with you to be restored. So I want to ask you to do these three things. And I think if you do these three things, you know, you don't have to be so concerned about, well, what am I going to say? And what am I going to do? And how is this all going to happen? And you don't have to like, you know, there's a scene in Gladiator where uh, they're getting ready to go out into battle and the guys are terrified and they're terribly nervous. And there's a guy swinging a huge mace right outside the wall. And one of the guys that's standing in line knows he's about to die because he doesn't know how to fight. So he just starts peeing on himself. And I can imagine some of you guys 
When we're saying, go and proclaim the gospel, go and preach your friends, go and declare the goodness of God, I can imagine some of you guys feeling like you're inside that gate going, okay, I gotta go to school tomorrow, and I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna say something to Billy about God. (laughs) And we try to amp ourselves up so much for this one big thing that we're gonna do for God. And here's, I just want to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's get rid of the fear. If you're in relationship with God and you're just simply looking to be obedient, God's going to ask you to speak. God's going to ask you to open your mouth. God's going to ask you to go and pray. God's, because that's what God does. That's what he wants. He wants his children to know him. He wants people that are sick to be healed. He wants the power of God to be revealed to all mankind. He wants those things, so that's the things that he's going to ask you to do. That's the truth. So here's what I want you to do. I just want to give you three simple things that I believe if you wake up on a daily basis and you'll pray this, this prayer, you'll pray this prayer, I think you'll find yourself in a whole new situation. I think you'll find yourself where every day you start to recognize, man, there's passion brimming out of your heart. There's passion because now, instead of you just going about your day and leaving church behind church, or, you know, church lives within these walls, but it doesn't exist out here, you start inviting God to invade your day. You start inviting God to interrupt you moment by moment. Here's three things that I want to challenge you to pray. One, every day when you wake up, surrender yourself to God and say, God, use me. Everybody say, God, use me. Do you want to be used by God? How many want to be used by God in here? I know I do. I want to be used by God. I want him to use me every day. And I believe that it is God's will that he would use you every day in all of your relationships. God, use me. It's a simple prayer. Second thing, just as you are asking God, is say, God, interrupt my day. And here's what I'm talking about, interrupting my day. Yeah, every day is filled with the busyness, and you're talking about, you know, well, I've got this and this and this, and I know you've got things to do. But be in a place that at the beginning of your day, you're asking God, God, interrupt my day. And here's what I mean by that. God, when I'm going about my business, when I'm walking to and from class, when I'm just doing the mundane things, as I'm sitting in class, as I'm sitting at lunch, God, interrupt me. God, arrest my heart for somebody, for something. God, interrupt my day so that today you use me. So that when I'm sitting in a restaurant then, and somebody walks by, it's like, and something sparks in your mind, it's like, that's the guy. I'm going to go and do this. And, or somebody just randomly comes up and starts talking. Look for those kind of interruptions when you're asking God to interrupt your day. When somebody just comes up and starts talking to you, that's a window of opportunity for you just to begin to pour out what's in your heart. And God loves you. You know that. Ask God to interrupt your day. If we just say, God, use me, but we're not willing for him to interrupt our day, then our first prayer doesn't count. God, use me. He's gonna interrupt our day. But ask him. Say, God, interrupt my day. Speak to me. And the last, that last thing is, speak to me. Say, God, speak to me today. Because some of you guys are concerned about what are the words that I'm gonna say? The Bible says the Holy Spirit will give you words to say. God, I'm freaked out. I want you to use me. I wanna do something for you. God, use me, interrupt my day. And so then all of a sudden he sends you that person. Don't start peeing your pants. That person will leave. 
Fago recognize, all right, God's wanting, me to, God's wanting to use me right here, right now. God, speak to me. I need you. And then just start proclaiming. Start sharing the things that God's given you, that he's revealing. I promise you, if you just surrender your day, you surrender your heart in a fashion like that, God will use you. And when you're in a position where you're being used by God on a daily basis, all of a sudden you find yourself energized about prayer. You find yourself energized about reading your word. You find yourself energized about going to church and sharing your testimony of how you, you know, and bringing your friends to church. And you start finding yourself all throughout your day speaking to God, praying to God, saying, God, that was incredible. Use me again, use me again. And you're looking for the next, God, use me again, use me again. And it begins to be this fire inside of you when you just ask God simply to interrupt your day. God, speak to me. I want you to do me a favor, and we're going to kind of close and uninvite Nico and some of the team to come back up. But I just kind of want to worship together, and I want to invite some of you guys for a couple different things. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up here. So if you're a part of the prayer team and the leadership team up here, just, just come join me at the stage. And here's what we're going to do tonight. It's a pretty simple thing. You know, I brought up a couple different ideas, but one of the big ideas is, you know, the saddest state of Christianity where I see people that... Whose, whose lives in Christ are contained within the walls of the church. And some of you guys, what I want you to do tonight is I want you to come forward and I want you to pray with somebody and say, man, I know why I'm lacking passion. I know I keep hitting these highs and lows. I keep hitting these ebbs and flows in my relationship with God. And I, I want to break out of this. I want, I want my life in God to break out of the four walls of the church. And what I want you to do, I want to invite any of you guys that are feeling that. You know deep inside, and you, you know some of you guys, that you struggle reading your Bible, and you wonder why. Because you know you want to, but it's just hard, and it's difficult, it's cumbersome. You know, I would ask, well, is your life in God ex- extending beyond the four walls of this church, or is this it? Because if this is it, it's going to be a sad state for you. So what I want you to do is I want you to come, and I want you to pray with some of the team up here, and, and and just say, God, I, I'm praying for strength tonight because I want my relationship with God to, to start getting out of me, to start leaking out of me, to start oozing out of me, and to start influencing the other areas and arenas of my life. You know, the second thing that I want to invite you to do is just, some of you guys, it is in your heart, and you want, you know, you want to start seeing your friends come to know Jesus, and you recognize, man, the time is now. This is the time, this is the season. I'm gonna work while it is still day. There's a sense of urgency in you. Some of you guys are seniors in this room and that sense of urgency has to be growing, it has to be building because you know, man, the time is ticking. You're down to weeks, not months, not years. And I want you to come and I want you to get prayer tonight that you would be strong and courageous and that you would finish this fight well, that you would honor God and that you would be obedient to what he's called you to do and you would fulfill the purpose for why you're there in that school. And I want to just invite a last group of you guys tonight that if, uh, if you've never really entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the creator of all of this, I want to invite you into the life that God has for you. It's a life full of excitement. It's a life full of joy. It's a life full of strength. And Isaiah says that his ways are better than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And a life fully surrendered to God is the most exciting life you can live on this earth. So 
I'd like for all of you to stand with me as we close. And I'm just going to ask Nico to kind of lead us through one final worship song. So if you would, just begin to make your way out of your seats. I don't want anybody to feel awkward. I don't want to call you out. But if you need prayer for any of those things that you want, that you want God to begin to use you outside the walls of the church, you want to be strong and courageous, or you want to engage and enter into a life and a relationship with Jesus Christ, then I want you to come forward and pray with one of these leaders. But if you would, just to help easy that embarrassment factor from would you guys all just please just join me up here at the front as we kind of enter in the last song of worship as soon as we're done with this song we'll be dismissed but I hope that tonight was an encouragement to you I hope that tonight there's a sense of urgency for you to work while it is still day because soon the night will come and all of our work will cease and over time this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.